You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many as I can. And you can check out our new webpage at letstalktorah.net. There's a place for comments. There's a place for messages. Um, and there's a beautiful donate button. And that would be really wonderful if you could help the show continue to grow. We can share the show with so many other people. But I do need your help. If you could hit that donate button, we have different levels. We can give you a shout-out if you'd like. Anniversaries, birthdays, um, in memory of anything that helps you, of course, helps us. And, of course, in advance, I do thank you. The weather around here is unbelievable. I'm sitting by my dining room table, looking out the front window, and the sky gets dark. And it starts raining, and the rain is going the wrong direction. It's not even falling down straight. The rain is going sideways. The winds, tree branches, my neighborhood specifically not so bad. Um, yeah, little branches fell down in the backyard, nothing major. But once I drove around the next day, a lot of trees ripped out, destroyed. Ma massive winds, massive winds. Because as strong as trees may be, but if it's the right wind in the right direction with the right power, and wind has power, it'll uproot that tree. Once it uproots that tree, that tree is done. You can't, to my knowledge, you can't really replant the tree anymore. The tree is uprooted, it's broken in half, it's done. Which reminded me of an amazing piece of Talmud that I was learning with my son. I don't know if it may have been even that night, could be the night before. Very, very famous Talmud. And uh, I was actually, it's this, this piece of Talmud is actually used, people like to say it, to young married couples because it has a beautiful message. Um, so the Talmud says like this, better the curse of a friend than a lot of kisses from an enemy. So again, better the curse of a friend than a kiss of a lot of enemy, uh, than a lot of kisses from an enemy. Who is the friend? So there was a prophet. His name was Achi Hashiloni, and he was, uh, I guess we'll call it a curse. He was telling the Jewish people how they were going to be punished. He says you're going to be like the reed. You should be like moved around or. Beaten like the reed, right? The reed that goes out of the water. It's like if we go to a lake, you see reeds are sticking out out of the water. We should be like moved around or beaten like a reed. That's what he said. He's the friend. Bilam, this week's Torah portion, that famous non-Jewish prophet who was uh, open for hire, which we'll talk about as we get into the show, 
So Bilam, in his forced blessings to the Jewish people, says we should be like the cedar tree. We should be like the mighty cedar tree. So why is being like a reed, why is being like a reed better than being like a mighty cedar tree? I mean, come on. If you were going to pick, you want to be a reed? Nobody cares. You want to be that cedar tree. Like, what's the Talmud talking about? So the Talmud continues. Reeds, first of all, have very deep roots. So you blow them around all day long, but the roots will hold them firm to the ground. Second of all, reeds have the ability to bend. I used to ask my class when I would talk about this. I say, you know, when you walk across your grass, do you break all the blades of grass and they look at you like you're coming for the moon? Rebbe, when you walk across the grass, the blades bend and they pop back up. I said, very good. That's exactly the point. The reed, with all the winds, no matter how strong those winds are, but once the winds stop blowing, the reed pops itself back up which on its own, by the way, is a fantastic lesson. Right? When things aren't going the way you want, when these things are, are, are rough and tough, you know, sometimes you got to put your head down, let everything blow over, and, when everything, and everything will blow over. Once it blows over, you can stand up again. You're not broken. Just bent over a little bit. And one more thing. The reed can regrow. If you take your... Your lawnmower, you take your scissor, you cut the reed, it, um, it's going to go back. The cedar tree might be very strong, right? You can lean against it, you can push against it, you can bang against it, right? But when you get hurricane winds, right, it uproots the whole tree. The roots are not so deep on a cedar tree. And if you chop down the cedar tree, right, you chop down the trunk, it's not growing anymore. It's interesting with trees. That even though if you, I don't even know what happens when you cut branches, but you see these trees in my front yard. So the, the city comes by and, and cuts branches. Um, if those branches like part of the trunk, they don't regrow. A very interesting concept by trees. So, so the reed has all the lessons that we could want. First of all, it has deep roots. Which always teaches us that we're never in it, I hope for everyone, right? you're never really in it, in it alone. You have parents to go back to, you have grandparents to go back to, you have great-grandparents to look up to. There, there's, you came from somewhere. You are not here alone. You, you didn't just become. You came from somewhere. And I'm not saying everybody has the best relationship with parents, but you came from somewhere. There's a whole DNA that you're part of. It, that's, that's the reed. You come from somewhere special. And you're bendable. So first of all, I just told you an important thought that when the, when the winds are blowing, sometimes you just bend over. Sometimes you wait till everything passes by. But it also teaches us really another amazing lesson. And that is... Uh, there's a, a Hebrew word called to be mevater. Mevater, I guess in English, means to give in. I mean, we, we, we do it with children all the time. 
fighting over a toy, fighting over a, a game, over a place to go, over a seat. And what we expect from the children, by the way, is, come on, what's the big deal? Don't fight with your brother, just give in. Now, we should listen to ourselves because we probably do the same thing a lot of times. When we stand up for our rights and we don't let people take advantage of us, sometimes we also have to remember to give in. You have to be a person that not everything has to be taken so seriously. Not everything is so life-shattering, earth-shattering. Be flexible. Give in. It is amazing um, what life becomes when you're not always fighting. If you're always fighting, life is bitter. If you can manage to just give in, people will be nicer to you. You'll be happier. No stress. Just give in. You know, I got a um, I got an email. I'm on the, one of these, I don't know exactly what you call it. It's not a chat, but somebody will send out a, a question, usually about children, and there's a whole bunch of us that look at it, and whoever feels like they have a good answer will give an answer. So this week, um, message came out. There was a, a father who was complaining that his son doesn't like to pray with him. His son goes to prayers. But the father would like the son to pray with him. So we understood the first synagogue that the father was in, the, his son didn't like the, maybe it was too crowded, maybe it was too noisy. So the son went and found himself in another synagogue. Well, the father really wants to pray with his son. So the father switched synagogues. Well, guess what the kid did? He found a new place to go to. So the father is trying to find out, like, what should his attitude be? So when I see letters like this, they, they get me excited. I don't want to say worked up or blood pressure, because I, I don't think that's true. But I wrote him back and I said, your son wants to pray. He, you know, some children would rather not pray. They don't want to go to synagogue. Your son likes to go to synagogue. He doesn't want to pray with you. What's the difference with what, what his reason is? Don't ask him for his reason. Don't bother him for his reason. He's happy to go pray. Leave the kid alone. Be happy that your son is willing to pray, right? Like sometimes we gotta, we gotta, we gotta refocus. And then I wrote that my own children, um, I don't want to write it this way, but I think I did. Most of my children seem to always find a different place to pray. I'm trying to think. I used to walk across town. My oldest son came with me. My second son did not. He found other places to pray. My third son did not come with me. My fourth son, I'm not sure. Then I switched where I prayed. Then the next son also didn't come pray with me. But interesting, he, he, as he got older, he found one of the adults in that synagogue um, was willing to study with him. Oh, I pushed it. I said, yeah, go for it. You can do it. And my last son I do pray with. So in a sandwich, I got the outside of the sandwich. So, but they're all happy to pray. I mean, come on, what more could you ask for? Right? Like sometimes we're such sticklers. Oh, my son is not praying with me. I'm going to have to find out what the problem is. 
first of all, you don't want to know what the problem is because maybe you're the problem. And even if you're not the problem, what are you going to do? You're going to start answering and telling why he's wrong and it doesn't make sense and it'll make you so proud. Like, well, this is not for you. This is for him. Everyone's goal is my children should like to go pray. So he, the child likes to go pray. He doesn't want to pray with you. So what, what is this? Your own personal, like, uh, look at my son? Like, what, what, what are you thinking? So you have to give in. You have to learn to be about to like, the, like that read that has the ability to bend over. Be uh, flexible. That's the way. I can't remember if I said that word before. You got to be flexible. If you could be flexible and you can teach your children, and if you could be flexible, your children will probably learn from you how to be flexible. If you are unbending, and then you try to tell your children to stop fighting and give in and don't fight over who's sitting where or who's sitting in the front of the car, if you could teach them to give in, if you have the ability to give in, if your children see that you have the ability to give in, don't worry, they'll also learn to give in. So the read becomes a beautiful lesson. It's not to say that there isn't a place for the cedar tree. It happens to be that it's debatable who's doing the talking in this Torah portion. When Bilaam is giving his blessings to the Jewish people, it seems Bilaam says one word, and that word could be misconstrued as not a blessing, and then the angel comes along and adds some words to the statements. A boy said in class today, the words come out of Bilaam's mouth. It's possible. So Bilaam says we should be like cedar trees. But the angel says by a flowing stream, by water. Because water is symbolic of, of Torah. So that cedar tree should get nourishment from water, should be a healthy tree, a nourished tree, and nourished through Torah. And just one last thing about trees, because I did a lot of preparing last night, well, yesterday afternoon, for my emceeing job, which I didn't get. So I don't know, you can't always use the same stuff because it doesn't always fit. But this was my second speech that I was going to say, and that was um, on Tishabav, on the night of Av and on Yom Kippur, there's a famous piece of poetry. The poetry is called Arzei Halavanoin, which is the Cedars of Lebanon. And that piece of poetry, we've talked about it in the past, um, talks about the ten martyrs, those ten great sages, like Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shmuel, that were killed by the Romans. So the poetry begins the, those mighty Lebanon cedar trees. So many years ago, I would go to a camp in the Catskills, and there was a Rabbi Belsky there. And Tisha of morning, he would expound, talk, describe um, these different pieces of poetry. So, because a lot of it, the language is difficult. Some of them, you're not appreciating the poetry. So he was a big rabbi, and he always said, a lot of things he said the same thing every year, but the kids in camp were different kids. I'm the adult that likes to keep coming back. And I don't mind hearing the same thing over and over. The message is important. So he would discuss, Arzal Vanoin means our heroes. Who are, who should the Jewish people's heroes be? Who are those mighty 
cedar trees. The people teaching Torah, people that are teachers, that are scholars, those should be our heroes. He would make fun of sports. Right? He didn't like the idea that people, that their heroes are athletes. There's nothing, for the most part, there's nothing to any of those people that they deserve that I should look up to them. I shouldn't be looking up to a person who's athletic. Athletic is nice. It's good to be an athlete. It's good to be healthy. It's good to be strong. Nothing wrong. But why is that the person I'm looking up to? Why do I want to emulate him or her? I'm not saying that we don't like entertainment. Entertainment is good. But entertainment doesn't mean that I emulate those people. Those are not the people that I'm looking to emulate. So um, so even the tree, even the cedar tree that we said better the curse than the blessing of Bilaam. But by the way, even this tree, this concept of a, of, a, of a cedar tree, also there's a good place to call it a blessing because we use it in poetry to talk about scholars um, and teachers. And um, I was going to use that to introduce a fellow colleague of mine, a different teacher, and he also very, very tall. So I thought it was like a great intro. But I can't imagine the next time I'm getting to introduce him before we speak. So uh, I did it now. Anyways. So Balak is the king of Moab. And he sees the Jewish people have just conquered the great warrior giants Sichon and Og. And Sichon and Og were paid tribute to protect the land of Israel and the and Moab and all the, well Moab was conquered by them, but their job was to protect the land of Canaan from the invading Jewish people, and obviously they failed because the uh, the uh, they were they were killed. So Bulg is nervous, so he tries to research like how is it that this Jewish nation was able to defeat these two great giants and their armies. So he did his research. He found out that Moses came from Midian. He went to Midian. And they said, oh, this Moses, his power is his mouth because he prays. Right? The power that, that Moses has is from prayer. So they said, you want to conquer Moses, you need someone who has the power of prayer. So he goes to hire Bilaam. Bilaam was a world-renowned cursor. He had the ability to curse and whenever he cursed, it worked. Now, Bullock, in his flattery, says, whoever you bless is blessed, whoever you curse is cursed. The commentary seemed to say that Bilaam has no power to bless anybody. If he has the power to bless, bless himself, that he become a billionaire and doesn't need anything else. Right? So it must be really had the power to curse. Now, even there, it's not so clear. Could he actually curse? Some say he knew the millisecond guy got angry, so he could use that to his advantage. Um, others say that he was a prophet, so he knew something was bad was happening to a nation, to a person. So you could hire Billam, and he would pretend, oh, okay, I'm going to curse that guy, and he's going to lose all his money. I'm going to curse that nation, you'll defeat them. You'll defeat them in battle. He knew they were going to be defeated in battle. So he basically was just telling you the future, but he pretended he was cursing. If he saw that you were going to lose in battle, he'd say, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. I can't help you. I can't help you. And then he probably go to the other nation and say, hey, you want to beat these guys? 
You pay, I curse them out, you're a winner. Talking about blessing and cursing is an amazing story. At the be- I don't say the beginning, but towards the beginning of World War II, there were 24 rabbis in Italy, and they were about to be shipped off to the concentration camps. And there was a famous rabbi, Aaron Cutler. He's the founder of the great uh, Beis Medeshkevo in Lakewood, that humongous post-high school, um, you'll call it Talmud College, if you like to call it. And he got wind of this, and he, he spoke to a very famous um, person that was, that was Irving Bunim. He just ran around the country. He was just an advocate for everything Jewish. So Aaron Cutler went to Irving Bunim and said, we got to get these uh, tourist scholars, these rabbis, out of Italy. What should we do? So Irving Bunim started sending out feelers, and the best connection in those days were with mobsters. They were all connected back to Italy. And to see if he could find someone who could help him out, it turns out that this Irving Bunim said, I got us a meeting with Joe Bonanno. Sounds like Banana. It happens to be his nickname was Banana. So Irving Bunim, Aaron Cutler, this great rabbi, sit down to meet with this Joe Bonanno, if I'm pronouncing his name right. And while they're sitting there, now, this Rabbi Cutler didn't speak English. He only spoke Yiddish. So, he, so while they're sitting there, this uh, Joe Bonanno says to Irving, he says, who's this rabbi? So Irving Bonham says, this rabbi is the godfather of the Jews. So uh, Joe Bonanno smiles, and he says, tell the godfather of the Jews I want a blessing. So Byron says, Byron says, what do he say? He says, wants a blessing. So he gives him the following blessing. He says, you should live a long life and die in your bed. Now for a gangster to die in his bed, that's like, whoa. Most of them are not dying in their bed. Most of them are dying because somebody decided they wanted to take over. So this Joe Bonanno, he loved that blessing. So he says, what, do you, what does the rabbi need? So he told me that there's 24, these 24 rabbis, are, they were taken prisoner, they were going to be sent to the concentration camp, we need to get them out. So he says, when do you want them out? How do you want them out? Fastest way possible. So as Joe Bonanno said, I'll take care of it. And sure enough, he actually did get out these 24 rabbis out of Italy and he got them as far as I know to America. Anyways, um, many years later, 1968, a large black limo pulls up in front of BMG and some guys guys were looking for Rabbi Cutler. So this Aaron Cutler no longer was alive. His son, Rabbi Schneier Cutler, was the new rabbi of the school. And when the, when the guys look at it, they say, no, no, I want the, the old Rabbi Cutler. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was my father. He passed away five years ago. So he says, well, you know, I, I'm taking over for my father, Joe Bonanno, and he told me before I take over, I should get a blessing from that rabbi. 
So if Shane says, oh, that rabbi, he was special. He was a special rabbi. I can't give those blessings. So disappointed, they went back in to their, um, they went back to their limo and they left. Just to know the end of the story. This Joe Bonanno lived to 97, okay? Rabbi Cutler said, long life. He lived to 97. And he died in bed. So that in itself is, is pretty amazing. We say that Bilam has no power to, to bless, but we do have that power. But the music is playing. And I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Jen in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRS Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.